Welcome to the second episode of Tea and Cake, an informal conversation with some of the UK's biggest figures who delve into history and craft their professions from the past, with me, Tommy Lloyd Baker. Before I start with this month's interview, I want to say a huge thank you for all the comments and feedback I've received so far. Make sure you continue to let me know what you think in the comments section below in iTunes. I've also had a bit of a rejig on my episodes, so apologies if you was expecting the Queen of Vintage Kerry Taylor, but she would be later on in the year. This month I am interviewing Mark Hill. Mark is best recognised from TV shows such as The Antiques Roadshow, Cracking Antiques and Mark's new show Collectolics with Sue from Men and Sue, but that is just a small part of his impressive CV. Starting his career in the traditional way at Bonhams and Sotheby's, he soon went on to join an internet company where he became a director forming and running its groundbreaking alliance with eBay Live Auctions. He is now co-author of the international bestseller Miller's Collectibles Price Guides and contributes countlessly to various newspapers, magazines and radio shows. Mark is also a dealer in post-war check glass. He is certainly a busy person. I started off the interview by asking him, is antiques in your blood? I suppose antiques must be in my blood. It's certainly not um, in my family's blood, though. I think it's a sort of a recent interloper. My father um, is an engineer. He's now a retired Formula One engineer. So fantastic sort of taking mm. things to pieces and putting them back together much better. I got the first bit right. I can take things to pieces. But <laughs> I lose Can't put them back together. Absolutely no way. No, 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 not at all. And do they collect themselves? Not really. My father's got some bits and bobs from his career, um, which sort of spanned, I think it was 37 years. He's travelled all over the place with people like Jack and Stewart and that sort of thing. So he's obviously got some great mm-hmm. memories, but also some great memorabilia related to that. But um, no, not really. I didn't grow up sort of surrounded by collections or, or art. Where would you say your book came from then? I have no idea. I suppose it's a story. When I was much younger, I used to love reading. I still love reading now. And um, stories fascinate and when you actually can tie a story into an object, I think that's incredibly potent. Okay. Um, and I think it was that attraction for me. I, I, I love a good yarn, but to find an object that you can, you can imagine, you can dream about, mm-hmm. you can let your imagination run wild, um, I, I, I just find it completely addictive. Do you remember the first thing you ever bought? Yes, I remember the first thing I bought and made money on. Perhaps not the first thing I ever <laughs> bought, but it was a little Jaeger pocket from up in the culture, I'm not quite sure. But it cost me £40 from a dealer's shop, if I remember rightly, in Dorking. And I then hopped it round the corner to the local auction house, which is still there, called Crohn's. And I think I sold it for £120 or something. So I, I was really pleased. And I think I must have been about 15 or 16, so it was all done in my parents' uh, yeah. name. But actually, it's a fortune. Um, you went on to study history of art um, and architecture at Reading. Do you think that's helped your passion? I think it's history of art. I went in to do history. My school wasn't terribly supportive of, of degrees like history of art. I mm-hmm. didn't get really sort of very serious degrees. Um, I think it's helped from a sort of general sort of stylistic history and background. You know, when certain kings and mm-hmm. reigns occurred, I think it just gives you a good historical background but also a very good visual historical background as well. I think it's much easier to look at them and go, oh, that fits in there, I understand that. And that gives you a very good starting point. Okay. So you started off your career in the very traditional way of going off to um, Bonhams and Sotheby's. From there, you then went and joined the internet company iCollector.com, where you became a director in forming a running spring groundbreaking alliance with eBay Live. 
that's quite technically advanced and quite like social media for something in antiques. How was that for you? Was it quite daunting? I rather liked it actually. I found it at the time um, the auction world was changing. The internet was of 1999. Um, probably makes it sound terribly grand, but everything was changing. So the internet was coming in. Auction houses, they said, were going to die. It was all going to go online. Um, I was at Sotheby's at the time. Sotheby's had just had to deal with Amazon um, in order to, to try and bring that whole new global market in, in, through Sotheby's doors. Um, and I think it was this huge state of flux as this new technology and a new way of doing business came in. And yeah, of course it was still doing it. It's only for everybody, but you just got on with it, didn't you? And I was very lucky yeah. in that um, they clearly wanted to close down the lower value departments at Sotheby's. Um, I worked for the collector's department, which was mm -hmm. deemed a, low, a lower value item. And I think I, I remember standing in uh, an auction room, I'll, I'll get the numbers wrong, but um, standing in an auction room, and Dee Brooks, who was chairperson at the time, came over from New York over the tannoy, and I think perhaps even over a, a screen. And she said, anything under something like a thousand pounds or a thousand dollars, we simply can't sell. We can't afford to do it anymore. And it's a totally, I totally understand it's a perfectly sensible commercial business yeah. decision. But I looked at it and thought, hang on a minute, how many things in my last sale are over a thousand pounds? Not many. And I just thought, well, the writing's on the wall. And actually, um, so did a number of colleagues of mine. Um, and we just sat down and thought, look, we love this industry. What are we going to do? Well, let's grab the bull by the horns and see whether there's an internet company who, who wants to take us on. So we were very lucky that uh, a company called I Collector did. Um, and it just all moved on from there. It was very fast moving. It, yeah. I look back now and sort of think it seems like a decade, but it was actually only something like two or three years and crammed in crammed full in. of different things. Yeah. And by the time I left up, run a deal with eBay, I was going up two or three times a year to, to see them in, the, mm. in San Jose. It was completely weird, but literally a year or two before that, I was cataloguing scientific instruments in Southern Yeah, it's, a, it's quite interesting. Uh, do you use eBay yourself? Oh, all the time. I'm virtually never off it. My phone, I mean, these days we can carry phones that smartphones are having yeah. on it, but absolutely. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those things my partner will often look at his Blackberry and sort of it's a very important job in the bank. And I'm always looking at eBay, so you know, we make a great character. <laughs> You're quite in the public eye. Has that made it difficult to negotiate discounts when you buy in trade? <laughs> I work a lot with a chap called uh, Graham Cooley, who were exhibitions at what we believe in new areas, we've done Western pottery and various other things. And I know he's had terrible problems with people following him, seeing what he's going to pick and who's mm -hmm. picking up and seeing what he's going to buy, presuming that that would be our next exhibition. <laughs> um, so it, it, it can be difficult. Um, but I mean, most of the time, you know, we're all friendly in this of business. Um, and I think the friendliness just comes over, really. And you know, most dealers and yeah. the enthusiasts themselves yeah, and collectors, of course, and there's that great passion. And I think it's a case of once you just start mattering and chatting, you share that passion and it all works That's out. Right. Yeah. So you, you deal in and you collect yourself post-war checklists. And what, are, what else do you collect? What else are your main collections? All sorts of different things. I've nearly sold all of my collection of Bakelite and plastics now, which I regret. Um, it was just a space issue. I've got a little collection of West German pottery. Oh my goodness, what else is there? I collect um, an 18th, no, 19th century printmaker. Um, who else is there? There's all sorts of different things. Pictures, I've been collecting pictures since I was 15 or 16. Oh, wow. Nothing grand. Right. They're all etchings or, or lithographs of some type, but they're the sorts of things that you can go down to a, a, a flea market and you can find a really charming little etching, and it's 10 quid, and it's framed, and you can bang it up on the wall. It looks great. And again, there's a little bit of research mm -hmm. done, who did it, you know, what does it depict, that sort of thing. Um, did they do anything else? Yeah. Um, so all sorts of things. What's your most valuable item? 
Now, now, do you mean valuable in terms of money, or do you mean valuable in terms of what it means to me? Both. I love my pen. I have a vintage Parker 51, which oh, nice. I love. Um, and I've used 51 since I was a bond when I first started mm -hmm. to have vintage fountain pens. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a pen for all, all uses. It's a fantastic mm -hmm. thing. Um, and that is very much sort of, I think, you know, pen is an interesting thing, but that one is how contentious, but it's the thing that enables you apart from Yeah, you use it all the time, I suppose, exactly. don't you? Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. So I suppose that means quite a lot to me, but there was a, a, a wonderful story about something I bought in Brighton, uh, which I didn't know what it was at the time. It was broken, but I just saw it and thought, good heavens above, that's an amazing thing. And if it was in mint condition, I could never afford it. And I think I paid for 10, 15 pounds for it. Um, and it's just, it's, it's sort of reverberated. Mm -hmm. Uh, throughout my experience, so that's a very interesting for me. It's a piece of check glass. All right, oh, interesting. So you're one of the main instigators in the antique young guns campaign, and you're a young gun yourself. How important? <laughs> How important is it to you this campaign? I think it's, it's vitally important. It's changing. It's certainly changing. But for many years, antiques were seen as well. I think it's changing into well. I think it's changing because. For many years, um, antiques were seen as an old person's business. It was something you did if you were retired, it was something you did and if you were a little bit unusual and quirky. But I think there certainly wasn't much that was attractive about it to younger people. But I think with the, the growth of retro and vintage, it's given people a new language and a new look to be able to get involved. Um, and I don't think that it's, I mean, you're a young person yourself, yeah. I don't think it's, no, it, it, it's seen anymore as, as fusty, crusty, you know, an old person's game. Yeah. I think the retro and vintage thing, for a start, they're not called antiques. And I think, you know, immediately that's the most interesting thing. It's vintage, it's retro, it's a different brand. Yeah, it is a different brand, totally. I think it looks different yeah, as well. People didn't, they have different connotations, don't they, of antiques? With um, more grandeur and more, if you go to an estately home, you'd call that an antique than the 1950s plastic. Or... Well, I also think there's a, a difference about what we do with antiques as well. I think a lot of people, a lot of people before, um, Granny's China cabinet, to put it bluntly, mm. you bought a figurine or you bought some fantastic something and you put it on display in a cabinet. And I think today's younger generation are actually saying, well, I want to use that. And I think that's a big part of the retro and vintage market, being wearing clothes or eating dinner off a sort of 1950s midwinter set or, you know, a 1930s, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's interesting to see the, like, social media come into play as well. With, um, with the campaigns, especially with antiques and vintage, and that also become more important? Well, I think, that, well. I think that will help it, because I think, obviously, younger generations are coming on to social media and, and inter integrating themselves much more and communicating through social media. So if the antiques world, therefore, communicates mm. with social media and becomes part of that too, then I think it's likely that more and more younger people will be drawn to it, simply because it's not as unusual as part yeah. of their world. How, how do you feel about social media? Does it have a major effect on you, professionally and personally? I find it, I think it's very interesting. I think one has to be very careful with it. Um, I think it's all too easy to, you know, one reads about sort of, you know, slightly drunken tweets and that sort of thing. I think it's all too easy to give away too much. And I think it's also all too easy to become something that you're not. Yeah. And I think it's very easy to create a persona that you perhaps can't fulfill when mm -hmm. you, know, you meet somebody. So I think it's a wonderful thing. And what I found brilliant with young guns, um, and certainly we found this with Facebook and um, Twitter, is the sharing of information. Mm. Just the sheer generosity of people, which has always existed in this industry. Mm. That's been fantastic to see. But I think one does have to be slightly careful 
to keep that sort of professional and personal side of it. Mm. You know, you don't want too much information. Sometimes yeah. I see read some tweets and thought, boy, oh boy, they're going to regret that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the it's always the problem with social media, I find. Um, in 2007, you joined the Antiques Roadshow, then it's in its 28th year. Was that a lot of pressure for you? I'm so lucky to be able to do it, and I was I can't tell you how nervous I was. I still get nervous, I still go on really? shows, and in the morning, um, I, I, I complete, absolutely, my heart sort of beating a bit faster. I'm completely nervous, yes. The night before, still the same. Okay, um, what's your favourite moment been so far? There are so many different things that happen, and it's not necessarily something you could say point at and say it was when okay. I filmed that. Sometimes you just come across something that someone's had for so long, it means an awful lot, and you know nothing about it. And you know that you've gotten hooked when they start asking you questions. Yeah, but why? Why is it painted like that? What does that mean? So, you know, what happened here? Mm. All of those sorts of things are quite fascinating. So for me, that whole conversation mm -hmm. that goes on about the story is, is a wonderful thing. Of course, it's always lovely to deliver people good news. Mm -hmm. And there was a piece I delivered the other day that a lady had bought, um, I can't tell you what it is yet, <laughs> a piece of um, ceramic in okay. the 1960s um, for £45, and it was worth a couple of thousand pounds. Oh, wow. so that's always lovely news to do something, but she loved it for more than that. You know, yeah. she, she brought it in, this was a treasured item, and she just wanted to know a little bit more about mm. the background, which hopefully helped her Yeah. Um, so you've co-presented Cracking Antiques in 2010, done Antiques Untucked in 2012, and you've just had out um, Collectaholics with Mail from Mellon City. Um, you do ma Daily Mail, you write constantly for newspapers, magazines, radio shows. What, what's on the cards next? That's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully some more books. Okay. Um, I'm, I really Through want your own publishing? Absolutely. Um, the, the world of publishing is changing an awful lot, and I don't think it really has finished changing. Um, and here I am sitting consulting uh, with Millers, one of the biggest publishers in the country. Um, I think that's still the case. I think it's, it's going to be an interesting sort of five to ten years, and publishing will probably be very different, I think, um, in ten years' time than it is even now. It's changed dramatically. But I'm not a publishing expert, but nevertheless, my, um, my, my, my main aim at the moment is to push for more books. Also, okay. I'd like to do some more books on some new areas, maybe look at some older areas. I think it's interesting, for example, to think that a lot of areas that have become unfashionable are now better value than ever. Mm. And maybe new audiences will be drawn to them because of the quality, the story, um, and the fact that you can buy these things. Mm. Um, I can't end, not end the interview without asking you about your personal style, which you're so very well known with. <laughs> Um, when telling my mum, she, she summed you up in like five letters, which was flamboyant, elegant, glasses, and I was like, okay, that's nice. Bless, that's um, nice. <laughs> Please thank her, that's very sweet of her. Um, have you always dressed this way? I suppose I've always dressed unusually. Um, yes, I mean, even at university, I had a cape at university. Not many people had a cape at university. No. I suppose. Does that answer your question? Yes, yeah, I suppose so. I can't bear things with great big names emblazoned across the front of them. I mean, I think you're basically buying um, an image, aren't you? You're saying, yeah. I can afford this, um, and this is the sort of person I want you to, you know, I am a buyer of Prada, therefore I'm this sort of person. What a load of rubbish. So that was the delightful Mark Hill. Thank you for downloading and listening to the second episode. Next month I'll be questioning the king of the vintage clothing himself, whose clients include Victoria Beckham, Nigella Lawson and Lana Del Rey. Tune in to find out about his opinions on the fashion world, how important to him being the fashion patron of Vox Fam is, and his love for everything vintage. Thank you once again for listening, 
And this has been T and Kate with Mark Hill.